That's, that's good news, right? I am yours and you are mine. Praise God. I, I, I want to start off uh, this morning with some words that God breathed through the prophet Isaiah 2,700 years ago. Isn't it crazy how relevant God's Word is? I don't know about you, but I, I don't read any other 2,700-year-old words other than the Bible, right? It's 2,700 years old, and yet it's has spoken to generation after generation after generation. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 6, so grab your Bibles, your Bible app, look at the screen, or just lean back in and listen. Isaiah writes, in the year that King Uzziah died, and I, and I want to hit the pause button uh, because there, there's a, a specific reason for Isaiah recording those seven words, and, and, and we'll miss that reason if we just read right over it. You see, Uzziah had been king of Judah for 52 years. He had been the leader of God's people since he was 16 years old. I mean, think about it. Most of the people in Judah had only known him as their king, and Uzziah was a good king. And he reigned during a time of trouble and conflict, a time of wars and of battles. And, and, and so this, in the year Uzziah died, it, it was a time of sorrow, a, a time of uncertainty throughout the entire nation. Hey, what's going to happen now? Are we going to be okay? We've lost our leader. Good question. What, what, what do people need to know? What, what, what do they need to understand? What do they need to believe in with a confident hope when they're going through times of hardship and uncertainty? Answer, they need to know, they need to understand, they need to believe that even in the darkest and most uncertain of times, that God is still seated on his throne. Amen? It says, in the year Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. I, I like that, right? I mean, God, he's not standing up. He, he's just chilling out, right? He, you know, he, he's reclining even maybe. Like he, he's not worried. He's not freaked out by the conflict. God is seated on his throne. He, he's not stressed out. And he's high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Uh, above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces so they would not look upon God's glory. And with two they covered their feet because they were unclean and not as holy as God. And with two they were flying and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me. I cried, pretty crazy scene. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with the live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you, and what an honor and a privilege it is 
to come into the presence of someone so great and so powerful, so mighty, so holy, so righteous, the one who even now is surrounded by angels who are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And God, we love you. And God, we long for your presence to descend on this place, God. I I pray that you would make your word come alive today. I, I pray that because we're in your presence today that Something will happen, Lord, in our lives. God, open up our hearts and our ears, our minds to your truth today. And God, I ask that you would enable me to uh, to speak well for you. And that because of what happens in this place, Lord, that, that people will know about you. And they'll know that despite the chaos and confusing, that, that you are, are still seated on your throne, high and exalted, and that your glory still fills this earth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, welcome to week seven of our message series, Transform. Uh, since October the 11th, we've been looking at seven dimensions of our lives that, that God wants to transform. We've looked at our spiritual health, our physical health, our mental health, our emotional health, our relational health. And by the way, have you wrote those notes yet? Keep writing them, right? Uh, they make a difference. Uh, our financial health and our vocational health. Uh, last week in this room, we, we talked about five truths that will transform our financial health. And those five truths were that it all belongs to God, uh, that God is, God is using money to test me, uh, to, to see what I love the most, right? You know, uh, where my treasure is, there is my heart, right? To see well, what I trust the most. Do I trust God or do I trust money for my security? And it also tests to see if God can trust me. Have I been faithful to what God has given me? Money also is a, it's a powerful resource. Um, number four, the best use of our money is for you and I to use it to help people to get to heaven. And number five, one day we will give an account to God of how we use our money. He's going to say, hey, I gave you a bunch of stuff. What did you do with it? Were you good stewards? And in our life groups this week, Rick Warren uh, talked about seven habits for financial transformation. I just read through these. I've been doing this every week, kind of reminding us what we talked about last week and hitting some of the life group things. Seven habits, and, and we got to do all of these. We, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, um, you know, it, it's not wood grill. Wood grill, I go for fried chicken and chicken livers, right? I don't have to take everything. we got to take all seven of these things, okay? I must trust God as my source and supplier. And all these are promises in God's Word. In life groups, Rick Warren is talking about with every promise, there's a premise, right? God promises something, but there's a premise tied to it. You know, we have an obligation in order to get in on that promise. I must keep good records. I must give 10% back to God. I must, set, I must save and invest. I must set up a repayment plan. I must budget my spending. I must enjoy what I have, that contentment thing. And again, as I shared last week, if finances are things like, hey, you feel you could use a little help with, put that on your connection card. Our elders are really smart guys, and they can help you work through that and to develop these habits so that God can transform our financial health. And here's what we're going to do. Um, next week, we're going to kind of do like a recap and, and, if, and look at all these seven areas. And the goal is for you know, everybody to set one goal in each area, just one, you know, one spiritual health goal, one physical health goal. If you set some of those goals already, my email is steve at the grove, I won't use your name, 
But I want to give some examples, and we're going to slow down next week and, and hopefully have every single person say, hey, here's my financial goal for this coming year. Here's my relational goal for this year. And Because I don't want to just move through this stuff. I, I want this to take root, and I want transformation to happen. Amen? All right. Well, today, again, it's the seventh final dimension, how God wants to transform our vocational health. And the conversation I'm calling extreme living in our work. Extreme. And, and uh, the word extreme is, is, is a word that's pretty common today. And I, I want to show a video. It's kind of fun. It's a video of some highlights of some of the Red Bull extreme sports things that people are doing crazy stuff. But just sit back and watch this video. It paints an idea of what extreme is. And it's also fun to watch. Extreme. Hey, hey um, we at Maple Grove, no way endorse any of those things. <laughs> Don't try this at home or you're on your own. Uh, that's some crazy stuff to watch extreme. Uh, here's a definition of the word extreme, existing in a very high degree, going to great lengths, exceeding, exceeding the ordinary, the usual, or the expected. Uh, the Apostle Paul was in a prison cell in the church of Philippi, and he wrote these words, uh, above all else, you must live in a way that brings honor to the good news about Christ. Then whether I, I visit you or not, I will hear that all of you think alike, I, I will know that you are working together and that you're struggling side by side to get others to believe the good news. If you're taking notes, circle, you, you must live in a way that brings honor to the good news about Christ. And you know, I, I think if Paul were alive today, he, he, he might have worded it this way, above all else, you must live extreme. You must exceed the usual, the ordinary, and the expected in all areas of your life in order to bring honor to the good news of, about Christ. And, and not only that, but you, you must also go to great lengths to work together, struggling side by side so that people will be blown away by the way that you live, believe the good news, and turn to God. Uh, brothers and sisters, we, we serve and follow an extreme God who, who sent his extreme son to live an extreme life and to die an extreme death, so it should not surprise us that he calls you and I to live extreme for him. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Give me some love, all right? Give me some love today. We'll be here all day right now. If you're here visiting, I'm, I'm a needy pastor. <laughs> I need to know that you're with me. And listen, one of the key areas that God calls you and I to live extreme is in our vocation. Uh, understand, what you do 40-plus hours every week, whether in the home, the schoolroom, or, or the workforce, matters to God. And, and so students today, when, when I talk about work, the principles I'm talking about today apply to school. Your, your teacher is your boss, and, and your fellow classmates are your coworkers. Uh, students, get it? Good. Good job, students. Okay, turn to the person to your right and left and just say, your work matters to God. And, and you know what? It, do you feel that what you do during the week matters to God? I understand it's important that you do because when you feel that your work matters to God, you will have a sense of dignity about your work, no matter what that work may be. You'll have a sense of destiny and purpose, and you'll have an inner motivation to be distinctive, to excel, to rise above, to live and work extreme. On the other hand, if you feel that your work doesn't matter to God, uh, that he's not concerned with what you do, 
You will not have any motivation to be distinctive. You'll have no sense of purpose. And as a result, you'll find it much easier to make moral compromises during the week. Hey, it really doesn't matter if I lie, if I come in late, if, if I show up, if I work hard. It's only a job. And besides, they should be paying me more anyway, right? Uh, today, I, I want us to consider two reasons why your vocation, what you do 40-plus hours every week matters to God. And my, my goal is really simple. I, I, I want to convince you of that truth, convince us of that truth, and, and then send us out vocationally transformed with renewed vigor, passion, and purpose. Get it? Good. First of all, your work matters to God because our God is a worker. Uh, listen, from the opening pages of God's Word, it's obvious that our God is a worker, that He's a God who's busy, a God who's on the move. Psalm 121 verse 3 says, uh, he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. In the beginning, God created everything. Crazy. I mean, there was nothing, <laughs> and then there's everything. God spoke, and stars that can hold 300 million suns suddenly came into existence. Can anybody out there do that? I mean, I couldn't say, God said, let there be, and there was. I can't do that. I couldn't say, let there be an ant and create an ant, right? But, but God, that's how powerful our God is. He's so indescribable, his greatness we cannot fathom. And in Genesis 2-2, we read, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Psalm 104, verse 24, how many are your works, O Lord, in wisdom you make them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Psalm 111, verse 2, great are the works of the Lord. They're pondered by all who delight in him. Our God is a worker. And we, according to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, were created in God's image. Therefore, we are to be workers. And that's why immediately after God created Adam, he put Adam to work. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of eating to work and take care of it. And by the way, when God wore flesh and walked this earth, he was a worker. Until the age of 30, he worked as a carpenter, just like his earthly father did, uh, with his four brothers. And, and in John chapter 5, we read that he also worked like his heavenly father worked. John 15, verse 17 says, uh, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And in John 4, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, before we move on to the second reason why your work matters to God, let's note two important things about the work habits of God the Father and God the Son. Number one, they finished their work. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Understand, both God the Father and God the Son finished their work. No car on the blocks or jobs half done for our God. Instead, they completed their work, they followed through, they got her done. And that is a good work ethic for us to apply to our lives. Finish it, finish our work, follow through, complete it, 
don't quit on six. Number two, they rested. God rested on what day? The seventh day. And so doing, God modeled for us the need for regular rest. We talked about that in week two of the series when we talked about transforming our physical health. The father rested and so did the son. Now, Jesus was a very busy guy. I mean, he and his disciples had three years to get a lot done. His day planner was jammed. You know, his emails and texts and inbox were always overflowing. But listen to what he said in Matthew 6, verse 31. And because so many people were coming and going, they didn't have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And you know, maybe that's exactly what Jesus is saying to some people in this very room today. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Question, are there any work addicts out there? It's an easy trap to fall into. One more evening at the office, one more hour before we go home, one more shift of overtime, one more load of laundry, one more phone call, one more email to send or respond to, one more project, one more. I mean, it can get to the point where we begin to feel guilty if we relax or we even forget how to relax. But understand, when you burn the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. Get it? Good. Okay, your work matters to God because God is a work. And the second reason your work matters to God, and, it, and it's really the heart of the message today, and I'm telling you, if we get this and embrace it and live it out, it's going to make a difference in the lives of people. And, and, and that reason is that God wants you to see your work as ground zero for extreme living. I, I understand work is one of the key places work Workforce or, or, or you know, the school, work is one of the key places that a transformed life intersects with the world on a regular basis. I'm going to say that again. You know, work is one of the key places that a transformed life intersects with the world on a regular basis. Check out these statistics. From, the age, from age 18 to 65, you will spend about 94,000 hours at work, assuming you get a two-week vacation each year. 94,000 hours. In the same years, you'll spend about 2,500 hours in church. You know, uh, this year, you'll spend about 2,000 hours in work and maybe 150 hours in church. Students will spend 1,440 hours in school this year and, and about 156 hours in church. Bottom line, God wants you to use your work God wants you to use what you do Monday through Friday as ground zero for extreme living. Again, it's the place where transformation meets life. Get it? Good. Now, there's four points in this section. They are you know, the principle, the power, the practice, and the purpose for living extreme, for, for transformation in your vocational health. But, but before we go there, I, I think we need to answer another question quickly, though. Um, but what is ordinary, usual, and expected in the workplace today? It's ordinary and usual for workers to show up late, to not call in when they're sick, to not give two weeks' notice. It's ordinary and usual for people to complain at work and have a bad attitude. 
It's usual and ordinary for people not to work as hard when the boss isn't around. It's usual and ordinary to just put in enough effort to get by. It's usual and ordinary uh, to work six hours, but to maybe to put on your timesheet eight. It's, it's usual and ordinary to eat up the day small talking with a bunch of other employees. It's usual and ordinary to not always tell the truth. Now, just in case your, your boss ever, ever catches you um, asleep at your desk with your head on your desk, here are some good excuses that you can have at the ready, right? They told me this would happen at the blood bank. I left the cap off the white out again. White out, if you know what that is, okay? I, I was testing the keyboard to test it for drool resistance, and it, it did pretty well. I, I really wasn't sleeping. I was trying to pick up my contacts off my desk without using my hands, okay? Very lame, I know. But that's the usual ordinary. Now the principle for living extreme in your work, the Lord is your ultimate boss. Check out these two passages, both from the pen of Paul and the Spirit of God. And Paul's specifically talking about the slave-master relationship, but I think this definitely applies to the employee-employer relationship and also think the teacher-student relationship. Slaves, obey your masters with deep reverence and fear. Serve them, serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Work hard, but not just to please your masters when they're watching. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Colossians 3, you slaves must obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Obey them willingly because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Now, it may not matter to the people working with you. It may not even matter to the customers. But if anyone cares about your work and your performance, it's your boss. And that's why workers straighten up and work harder whenever the boss is around or the boss happens, happens to pop in the room. Have you noticed that? Have you seen that? Have you done that? You know, when I was a teenager back in the Stone Age, I worked at a fast food restaurant called Geno's. In Bal- Anybody remember Geno's in Baltimore? Oh, wow. Okay. It's me. Okay, Perry. Thank you, brother. Uh, and it basically, we cooked Kentucky Fried Chicken, and then we stole all the ideas from McDonald's for sandwiches. And, and it just kind of, I didn't get it. Like, the manager would come in and say, hey, the regional manager's coming in. we got to start making all this stuff cleaned up. You know, wipe down the fry area. I'm going like, okay, why are we doing it now? I mean, if this is that important, shouldn't we be doing it all the time? They said, shut up, Malone. Right? So, but it doesn't make sense to me. If it's that important, why are we just doing it when this guy shows up? See, the Lord is our true boss, and he's omnipresent. He's always around. He doesn't just drop in. He's always there. He's always watching. In fact, he was watching this past week, right, when we were working, when we were going to school. And the question is, well, what did he see? I understand whatever you do, whether it's you manage an office, you program computers, you market software, you construct homes, you work at UVA or Martha J, you serve in the military, you work at DIA or NGIC, you teach in the school, you work at a doctor's office, you're a student, etc. You must obey them with deep respect and fear, serve them sincerely, work hard and cheerfully, work with enthusiasm. If anyone should work with enthusiasm, it should be Christians, because that word enthusiasm comes from a Greek word that literally means having God within. Having God within. 
Why should we work hard? Because reality, we're working for the Lord. He's our ultimate boss. Now, it wasn't the job he wanted. It wasn't the job his family had planned for him. The environment was difficult. Uh, the location was far away from his home and all his loved ones. And the people he worked with were difficult. They didn't believe what he believed. They worshiped other gods. They lived different lives. They, they had different priorities. Besides all of this, the job wasn't exactly a career move that he had volunteered for. You see, when Daniel was just a youth, he was taken captive by the Babylonians. And since he was both good-looking and smart, a curse many of us have to bear, right? right? He was good-looking and smart. He was put into an intense training program. And Daniel chose to excel in that program and everything else that he did. He interpreted many dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar, dreams that no one else in the empire could interpret. In fact, the king was so impressed with Daniel that he made him the ruler of the entire province of Babylon and placed him over all the other wise men. Now, some years later, Daniel had to make another involuntary career change. You see, the Persians came in and, and conquered the Babylonians, and it was a very aggressive and hostile takeover. And when Darius I set up his new kingdom, Daniel was given a job as one of the administrators. And he excelled as he always did. Let's pick up the reading in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Again, we have Daniel once more in a job that he did not choose. And the question is, is, is he going to do the ordinary, the usual, or the expected? Or is he going to have faith, adapt to the challenge, and live extreme in his work, demonstrating vocational transformation? God's word Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Daniel proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and princes. Because of his great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and princes began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful and honest and always responsible. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the requirements of his religion. So the administrators and princes went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We administrators, prefects, princes, advisors, and other officials have unanimously agreed that your majesty should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, because you're so awesome, will be thrown to the lions. Let your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, a law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned about the law that had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in the upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. The officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying, asking God for help. So they went back to the king and reminded him about this law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, because you're so awesome, will be thrown to the lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It's the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is paying no attention to you or to your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, king, hearing this the king was very angry with himself for signing the law, and he tried to find a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way, looking for a loophole to get Daniel out of this predicament. And even the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty knows that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law of the king's signs can be changed. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you worship continually, rescue you. 
A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel from the lions. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep all that night. Very early the next morning, the king hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you worship continually able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions so they would not hurt me. For I've been found innocent in this sight, and I've not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered Daniel lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the man who had maliciously accused Daniel. This is what gets left out of children's church, right, and preschoolers. It's the fun part, right? He had them thrown at the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them. This is the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Wow. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Now that's what I call living extreme in your work. No, it wasn't the job. It wasn't the location. It wasn't the environment or the company that he would have chosen And yes, he had every reason to do the usual and the ordinary and the expected. And he was facing a huge challenge. Yet Scripture says that Daniel was faithful and honest and always responsible and proved himself capable. Sure, Daniel could have used his job and his situation as an excuse to to not live extreme, but, but he didn't. But he didn't. Brothers and sisters, unless we learn to adapt to our environment, to our circumstances, and to the inevitable challenges our vocational life will throw away, we will use them as an excuse and say that they are the reason, that they are an insurmountable obstacle, that they are why, they are what is preventing us from living out our vocational dreams. But that's not the approach Daniel took. I mean, even the king knew who he was serving. I mean, did you catch what the king said when he, he ran out that morning to check on Daniel? He said, Daniel, servant of the living God. He didn't say, Daniel, my servant. Daniel, servant of the living God. That's so awesome. And, and it makes me wonder, how, how did the king know that? How did he know that Daniel worshiped and served God continually? Because Daniel lived extreme in his work, faithful and honest and always responsible. You know, I'm sure that there were many other employees in Babylon who said to him, Daniel, you're just in exile. This isn't even your country. The king doesn't believe the way you believe. So Daniel, why do you work so hard all the time? Why do you care so much? And Daniel says, because I'm really serving my God. I'm doing my best for him. He's my boss. He's the one I look to please as I work here in Persia. Now, now when you go to work this week, like Daniel, you may feel like you're in exile in Babylon. I mean, you don't want to be there. The job, the location, the environment is not what you have chosen. 
There's a million other places you'd rather be, but just remember who your real boss is. Question, who do you work for 40 plus hours each week? Who do you work for? You work for the Lord. That's the principle for living extreme in your work. Your ultimate boss is the Lord. Next is the power for living extreme in your work. And the power, it's focus. The word focus is defined this way. Close or narrow attention, concentration, to converge on. Close or narrow attention, concentration, to converge on or toward a central point. Is there power in being focused? I mean, if you take a magnifying glass, you can focus the, the light of the sun and catch a leaf on fire. Uh, focused light can be focused to a point where it can actually cut through steel. There's power in being focused, not just with light, but with people. Listen, every athlete knows the power of focus. Uh, focus is the power that drives that little white ball straight down the fairway. Focus is what, is, is what enables a, a wooden bat to connect with a 100-mile-per-hour fastball. Focus is what gets the round ball through the rim and the pigskin through the uprights. Focus is what keeps the feet of gymnasts like, like Gabby Douglas, who won the gold in 2012, walking and doing crazy things on a four-inch beam. Focus is the power behind the success of every business, every army, every nation. And because there's so much power and focus, our, our enemy, those who oppose us, will always try to get us to lose our focus. I mean, when a guy's shooting a free throw to win the game, right, what's happening behind that backboard? Everybody's jumping up and down, right, trying to make noise. Or you got somebody trying to kick a field goal to win the game in the last minute. What are they doing? They're waving stuff. They're trying to cause them to lose their focus. Daniel lived extreme in his work. And the power of that extreme living was his focus. He never forgot who he was and who he was serving. I mean, look what he did when the, when the opposing team tried to distract him and make it against the law to pray to his God. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. And he kept that window open. He didn't close it. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. No matter what happened, Daniel kept his focus. He kept God at the center. He served and worshiped him continually, even when working for a pagan king. I understand, when you go to work, there's all kinds of things and situations and people that will try to get you to lose your focus and distract you from who you are and who you are actually serve and distract you from the principle from extreme living in the workplace is that the Lord is your boss. Things like unfair treatment, attacks, criticism, low pay, seemingly meaningless routine, an arrogant, cruel, or incompetent boss, no recognition, negative, critical, complaining coworkers. Listen, these and many other things will wave in the end zone trying to get you to lose your focus. And at those times, we must hear the voice of our coach saying, forget about the distractions, forget about the unfair treatment, forget about the lack of recognition, and focus on this fundamental truth. You're really working for me. The one whose glory fills the whole earth. I am is your ultimate boss. Get it? Good. And here's a great memory verse for us to store up in our hearts all the time, but when you're walking into work or school this week, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And like Daniel, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, the practice for living extreme in your work is 
Just do it. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And, and here, here are five things. It's, again, not rocket science, but five things that you just need to do to live extreme in your work. Number one, do what you're told. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. You know, if they say, be there at 7 a.m., ready to go, be there at 7 a.m., ready to go. If they say, I want you to do it this way, you do it that way, the way they tell you. You know, if they say, I don't want you to do it that way, then you don't do it that way. You do what you're told. Number two, you do your best. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. And I think that verse is really clear. And I also think that too many workers, even believers, live in direct opposition to that. And instead, they do the minimum, just enough to get by. Question, do you do your best? At work, do you do your best at school? It doesn't matter what our job is. And listen, when we do, when we do our best, we'll be living extreme in our workplace. Our vocational health will be transformed. And our true boss, the one whose glory fills the whole earth, will be pleased with and proud of us. Get it? Good. Have a positive attitude. Work with a smile on your face. Always keep in mind that no matter what happens to be giving, no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining and arguing. Now, from my experience, complaining, arguing, and not smiling, (laughs) and not having a good attitude are the usual and expected of workers today. Let me ask you, if, if, if a worker, right, did what they're told, did their best, and always had a positive attitude, would their boss notice? (laughs) Would other people notice? Absolutely they would. That's living extreme. Next, be a servant. For even I, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve others. Look for ways to serve others at work. Your boss, fellow workers, customers, and like Jesus, who washed dirty feet, be willing to do whatever it takes to serve someone else. This week at work, at school, don't just look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. And fifth, show respect. Show respect for those who have authority over you. What if they're idiots? Well, Peter kind of answers that, right? Uh, Servants, you must obey your masters and always show respect to them. Do this not only to those who are kind and thoughtful, but also to those who are cruel. God will bless you even if others treat you unfairly for being loyal to him. Question, do you show respect to your boss, to those who have authority over you? Or do you have a rebellious spirit? Does your boss feel respected by you? Again, you may be thinking they don't deserve my respect. They're idiots. That may be true. But God says, since you are who you are, show them respect. Do this not only to those who are kind and thoughtful, but also to those who are cruel. Okay, the practice for a living extreme in the workplace is and vocational transformation, just do it. Just do those five things. And again, Daniel's an awesome example of this. He, he, he did what he was told. He, he did his best. He had a positive attitude. He, he, he served others, and he showed respect even for a, a pagan king who worshiped idols. And because he did this, this enabled God to use Daniel for his purposes. Which brings us to the final point in your notes, and, and this is so absolutely stinking-lutely huge. The purpose for living extreme for vocational transformation is to be God's light. You're the light of the world. Sit on the hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I understand. There, there are millions of people, countless people in our society who will never consider going to church on a Sunday morning. Never. I mean, Sunday is the day to go to the lake, work in the yard, wash the car, clean the house, sleep in, catch up on things. And besides, most people in our world think that church is boring, uptight, judgmental, intolerant, and relevant. So how is this message of God's love and redemption ever going to reach them? Well, God has a plan. He always does. It's an awesome plan. It's an old plan. And in fact, it's been around for thousands of years. We saw it in the passage I read as we opened up in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember, the nation is going through a hard and, and uncertain time, and, but God is still on his throne. He's still sitting down because he's got everything under control. And God sees the pain. He sees the hurt. He sees the needs of his people. And he wants them to know that he's still on the throne, that he still loves them, and that he still is in absolute and total control. And so God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit say, who will go for us? And who can we send? Isaiah's response, send me. Question, how are the, the people in our world who are lost, who are confused, who are lonely, who are doubting, who are hurting, people whose lives are a lot like the lives of those in Judah after Uzziah died, they are uncertain, they don't know where to turn. How are people who will more than likely never walk into a church building, how are they going to hear the awesome news of renewal, refreshing, and restoration in Christ? Again, God has a plan. You see, five days a week, eight plus hours a day, God has his people, those who know him, those who love him, those who have been saved by him, God has his people going out to them. They are working beside them. They're working for them. They're going to school with them. They're being taught by them. Yes, God has his personal representatives going out to nearly every place in this world. And when those people, when you and I live extreme in our work, look out because some amazing, some God things are going to happen. Again, consider our guy Daniel. I mean, he, he lived extreme in his work as an exile in, in, in a foreign country, and the results were mind-blowing. I mean, here's what a pagan king came to the conclusion. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. Amen? And he rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of lions. Uh, I understand, if you are a Jesus follower, your number one purpose at work is not to get a paycheck, but rather to be a light for Christ. You are a missionary 40-plus hours a week. And the cool thing is, you don't have to raise support, right? For some of you, it's UVA. It's the federal government, right? They're, you're, not, you're not going around raising. They're, already, they're paying you already to go somewhere to be a missionary for Christ. Don't allow yourself to be distracted from this focus. No, you may not like your job. And, and I'm not saying that you can't get another job. But while you are there, you are on a mission from God. Brothers and sisters, God knows where you are and God has sent you there to reach people for him, to represent him to the lost and broken world that needs him so desperately. Understand, you don't have to go to China or Kenya to be a missionary, as awesome as that is. 
Because every week, Monday through Friday, you're jumping in to the mission field. And, and here, here, here's the deal. Here, here's something to think about. You know, when, when I think about, when I think of the hundreds, perhaps thousands of encounters that happen each week, you know, that, 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 that the 200 plus people that sit in this room every week, when I think of the encounters that, that you guys have each week with lost and hurting people, the encounters that, that you have with people who so desperately need to experience the love of God and, and know what we know, when I think of the encounters you have each week with, with people who need to know that even in a world full of chaos and turmoil, that there's a great, good, and powerful king who sits on his throne and the whole earth is filled with his glory. When I think of the encounters that you have every week at school and at work with people who are facing a crisis eternity who may just be one conversation away, just one conversation away from his grace, I get so fired up. I mean, look at this room. If everybody had about 10 contacts this week with someone far from Christ at work and school, we're talking two, three, two to 3,000 this week. You're going to have this week. You're going. You're going this week, and it's going to happen. See, when we allow ourselves to be grasped by this truth, we will be transformed vocationally. Amen? Exciting. Crazy stuff. Crazy. I mean, seriously, think about it. It's unbelievable. And, 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 and here, here's a question. Whose name? Here, here, here's a question. Whose name will be written in the book of life because you work or go to school where you do, right? Who, whose name? I just throw a place to know. You know who, who, who at, whose name? will be in the book of life because you work at UVA, because you work at NJ. Whose name will be in the book of life because you go to Albemarle High School? Whose name will be in the book of life because of where you work and because of where you go to school? Whose name will be there? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. God loves so many people in this world, and you guys this week are heading to your mission field, and you're there for a reason, and those people need to hear from you, and that's your purpose. Amen? That's your purpose. That gets you fired up, right? That gets you fired up, man. You know, God knows where you are. He's going to use you where you are this very week when we grasp this purpose. That's crazy good, and it's true, right? It's true. I'm not making it up. You will encounter some lost people this week at work and at school who, who need to know what you know. We're going to close with this, this song and kind of leads into communion. Um, the song is called Cornerstone. If you all would stand, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing and worship together. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. And, and God, we thank you that, that, that you can transform our vocational health and and God, I, I pray that we realize that, that you are, that you are our ultimate boss. And, and God, I pray that, that we will, God, that, that we will, 
we'll, we'll do our best, Lord, that we'll do what we're told, that, that we'll have a positive attitude, uh, that, we'll, that we'll be servants at work, and, and God, that we'll show respect to those who have authority over us. And, and, and God, that we'll realize that, that you have sent us already. We're already there. We're already in those places where there's people made in your image who, who need to know about you. And Jesus, we thank you that, you know, that we have something solid to stand on, that we have a hope that we can stand on. We thank you, Jesus, that you indeed, as the song says, that you are our cornerstone. And that in you we can place our hope. You are our help. You are our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.